Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we wanted you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message. Y'all good if I don't act like a guest today? Y- y'all okay if I, if I preach like, we're, like we've known each other for a while? And here, here's what I'm just letting you know. I, I want to, by the grace of God this morning, uh, the, the Spirit will provoke you and lead you to a place of change and lead you to a place of even encouragement. And um, man, if we're, if we're lucky enough that the Spirit would rebuke us, uh, listen to me, I, I don't know about you, but I like going to church every now and then and not, not always being told how great I am, but sometimes I like being told, man, there's some work to be done yeah. and that God has something ahead of me. And so uh, listen to me, as I, I prayed and prepared, uh, there were a couple different ways that we could go. And, and this is just what the Lord kind of laid on my heart to share with you uh, in this house today. And, and so again, I pray that you'll receive it. Uh, I pray that you'll, uh, you'll love me even after I step on your toes just a little bit because uh, I do it because I love you. And trust me this, man, whatever, whatever the Lord would, would deal and say to you, man, he said it to me times 10 in private uh, as we were preparing for it. So are you ready for God's word? We're going to start at verse 11. We're going to read a, a chunk of scripture today just to give us a sense of context and frame. Uh, and so uh, follow along with me if you have your own Bibles. Uh, man, there's going to be a lot to, to underline and highlight and man, just take notice of. And then we'll come back to it uh, here in a bit. But, but here's what the word of the Lord says. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. If you're reading from another translation, it would, it would read, O mighty, uh, o mighty warrior. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midians as one man. And he said to him, if now I found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak here with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present. And I set it before you. And he said, I'll stay till you return. So Gideon went to his house and he prepared a young goat and 11 cakes for the ephah, the flour and the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them to them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. 
And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it. The Lord is peace. Until this day, it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. And that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull of seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah so that, that, you, that you shall cut down. Verse 27, So Gideon took ten men, of his servants and did what the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. I want to preach a sermon to you this morning, simply entitled this old ways or new days. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. You are a good God to us. We've, we've sung about it. We've experienced it. So God, I pray that we would not only know it intellectually, but that we would experience in our life, in our souls, deep in our being. So God, I pray in the next few moments, Lord, you'd give us ears to hear your word, minds to comprehend it, hearts and lives to be shaped and molded by your word. And then God, give us the courage by your spirit to live out what you have spoken unto us. Lord, our desire is that when we leave this place, we could say one to another, surely the presence of the Lord was in that place and I'll never be the same. So God, use me if you can. And if you can, work in spite of me. And God, will give you the praise now and forevermore. Come on, and all God's people said, all God's people said, amen and amen. And so uh, the story of Gideon if you were to take your Bibles and maybe over the next week or so, if you want to read sort of the entire account of Gideon, we read a large sort of snapshot of the story just to frame out some things that I want to talk about. But at, at Judges chapter 6 through Judges chapter 8 is really the full narrative of the story of Gideon. I really believe that one of the mistakes that can creep into our lives sort of in the in modern church and in new ways of, of sort of following the Lord in the 21st century is that we become so heavily rooted in the New Testament, which is beautiful, don't get me wrong, that we forget and we forsake even some of the stories and the narratives that are found in the Old Testament. And the reason why we have the, the canon of Scripture in the way that we do is so that the people of God throughout all of the generations can glean from the people of God throughout all of the generations, that we can hear the story of God and we can see the way in which God has delivered his people time after time again, the way in which God has worked in and through and with humanity since the beginning of times. It is a foolish thought for you and I, friends, to think that just because we live in 2023, that we have nothing in common with humanity since the beginning. Can I just assure you that the struggle you're having right now has been the 
the same struggles that people have been having throughout history. Let me give you some Bible to that. No, nothing is beseeching you. Nothing is coming against you. That is not common unto man. The struggle that you're facing, the fight that you're in the midst of, all of this has as much to do with humanity and as much to do with the evil that is attacking here and now as it did then and there. And so for me, when I come to the Bible and I read the scriptures, I'm reminded of the way in which God has worked in and through his people. The story of Gideon is one that has always sort of been one that I I read. I I love the, the story in the times of the judges because in that time, in the period of, of Israel's history, the time of the judges is really a, a very sad time, but one that, again, I think we don't have to look too far for us to have a sense of commonality with. God would show himself mighty. God would deliver. God would move amongst his people. And then the people of God would worship the Lord for a season and for a period of time. But then they would, they would go wayward. Then they would find themselves no longer living with a pure devotion to God. Now they began sort of mixing uh, either it's different religions or different hopes and dreams. And they would be attached to culture rather being focused fully in the devotion to our God. And, and, and I just want us to acknowledge here that that that's not a historical narrative, that's a present day narrative. It's a present day narrative where God has rescued and God has done, and you, like me, have been in places where we've said to God, God, if you'll come through now, I'll, I'll do X, Y, and Z. Anybody else ever give one of those prayers? I remember being young and trying to marry some, some pretty young thing and saying, God, if you just let her marry me, I'll serve you all the days of my life. I'm still following through on that, on that prayer. But my life has been a series of these moments where you go, God, I just, I'll do whatever you ask, Lord. And, and you, you, you commit to God, but then there's also seasons where God's not moving at the pace that we would like him to. And so we think we're going to help God out. I know I'm not the only person that has ever come to God in prayer like, hey, God, um, just checking in. Just want to make sure we're still working on these things. Sometimes us going to God doesn't sound like prayer requests. It actually sounds like a to-do list that we're giving God. And then we come back like we're the manager on the job, kind of coming to God going, hey, have you forgotten the things in which we have tasked you with? The people of Israel saw the hand of God move mightily. But then what happened is as they began to fall away, God would allow other nations, God would allow other groups of people to come in. And then there would be this sense of judgment that was brought upon the people of God with surrounding nations. And many of us, we have a difficult time hearing this because we've been raised in environments that have told us anything negative that's happening in your life is God. And I just want to say this hard word in the very beginning and just sort of get us off on the foot that we know we're going to be on today. Sometimes it's not the devil attacking you. Sometimes it's the reality that God's actually not on your side because you're not on God's side. And so for us, before we begin blaming everything on the devil, what we need to ask ourselves, am I living fully devoted unto God? Am I on God's side? Am I doing things the way in which God has called me to do? And the children of Israel are are examples of the way in which humanity struggles in fidelity and devotion unto God. And this is what the Lord requires of us, that we would walk humbly with him, that we would love justice and we would do mercy. This is what it looks like for us to serve God and to be fully devoted to him. Gideon, we find in the very beginning of this story, and it's something I want us to to look at and consider. I'm going to offer you a few things from the text. One thing I love about Cool Church is you're a church that will preach the message along with me. Here's what that means. 
There are some congregations that listen. There are other congregations, this being one of them, when I say something that resonates, you say something back. And I just want to let you know what that does theologically and in the spiritual realms, it allows the message to be quicker. Hello. The more you talk, the quicker we get to lunch. Can I get an amen in church? Praise God. What it also does is it allows us to sort of be leaning in. Here's another thing I'm going to ask of you today is I want you to take notes. I want you to write some things down, whether this is in a phone, whether it's in a journal, whether it's in a notebook, whether this is on your neighbor's hand. I don't care. But what I want you to have is is a way, a mechanism to capture what God's saying to you. Because I don't think this is a moment for us just to listen and just to be in the room. But I think the spirit of God is is going to provoke us. I think the spirit of God is going to say some things to us today. And sometimes the way in which that works is it sounds like the point I'm going to say. And then sometimes the point that I'm going to say is actually going to unlock something in you. And I just want to make sure you're ready and that you're kind of leaning in so that when God does that, you can capture it. I literally, the other week, I was riding on the road, and typically I'm pretty good at this, that I'll, I'll talk something into my phone. I had an idea. I felt like the Lord gave me something, and I was like, oh, I'm going to write that down when I get home. Well, two batches of bad traffic took me out of my spirit. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I was in my flesh, yelling at everybody, get home. And I get to the study, I'm getting ready to write it down and, for, and could not remember it. And I felt like what the Holy Spirit said to me, just, just real prompted in my spirit. You were supposed to write that down two hours ago. Yeah. Don't come to me now when you weren't obedient then. And so I just want to prepare you and prepare your hearts that God's going to say some things to you today. I just want to make sure that you're ready to write it down. And that way you can live out the word that God is speaking to you. So here's the first thing that I want us to write down. The first thing I want us to think of and consider is that God sees who we truly are, not just the moment in time. God sees who we truly are, not just the moment of time. If you remember the very beginning of the text, we find Gideon in this story. It it unfolds for us in the very beginning. It lets us know who Gideon's related to. It gives us his dad's name. lets us know there's some things going on. If you read in the chapter previous and in the the paragraphs previous, you understand that Midian, the Midianites are now sort of laying siege to the people of Israel. They are taking over everything that is near and dear, whether it's land, whether it's the way in which they worship, all of this stuff, they are invading. And so now Gideon finds himself and the Lord finds him says that he's in a wine press threshing wheat. Let me remind some of you just a little bit about where I I grew up. Uh, I am not agrarian in nature. What that means is I am, yo soy no farmer. Like I'm not a farmer. I grew up in the mean streets of the suburbs of Orlando. Like I, I grew up in the shadow of Mickey Mouse's ears. I don't know nothing about farming. But here's what I do know. You don't take care of wheat in the places that you're making wine. That's not how that's supposed to happen. Gideon is so afraid that his work is going to be stolen, that his work is going to be abused, that he's hiding out in a place doing the thing he was supposed to, but not in the place in which he was supposed to. Now listen to me, some of you in this this room here and now, God has a call and a purpose on your life. 
And yet you're not expressing that call and the purpose that God has in your life in the arena that he wants you to because you're afraid of all of the things around you. And I just want to say this to you. Some of you in the room are entrepreneurs. Some of you in the room, God has gifted for you to build. And some of you have this ability, not even just to gain wealth, but you gain influence. And I just want to caution you. What the Bible says is, so what if you gain the whole world? And yet you lose your soul. If you're spending all of your energy, all of your time, all of your efforts so that your name might be made great, you're going to get to the end of your life and you may have accumulated a lot of things, but you may not actually have the thing that matters the most. So for us, we have to remember that God sees Gideon through his, his lens, not just in the momentary situation that he's found in. So what that means for Gideon is God doesn't see Gideon as a descendant of his father, doesn't see Gideon as just a part of the people of Israel. God sees what is in Gideon, even when Gideon doesn't feel like it. And the word that God says to him is powerful. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is terrified. Gideon is is huddled up in this cave, in this corner. And God says to him, God's first word to Gideon I want us to catch this. Nowhere in the narrative, nowhere in the text, do we see that Gideon has a relationship with the God of Israel prior to this moment. So the first word that God says to Gideon is not a list of his sins. The first word that God says to Gideon is not all of the ways in which he has disappointed God. The first word that God gives to Gideon is, oh, mighty man of valor, oh, mighty warrior. In other words, God's trying to get Gideon to realize the way in which I see you is different than how you feel. It's different than what you've done. It's different than what others have said about you. Now, for you and I, here's what we've got to grab hold of. Because you and I have had many people in many different settings, people that we love, have said some things to us, and it's marked us. And the marking may not be for good. It may have dwarfed us. Some of your families have maybe struggled in certain areas. The one that comes to mind is some of your your families don't have a good track record when it comes to marriage. Maybe they believe a lot in marriage because they get married over and over again. Hello. But the reality is they don't have a good track record in marriage. Their marriages fall apart. Infidelity is like rampant. And I just, some of you are living in this moment where you're making decisions and you're getting married and you're, you're going to do things God's way. And you're going to have people in your family say dumb stuff at Thanksgiving. And I just want to say this to you. If you're not careful, the reckless and idle words of other people have a way of hitting you and they end up doing some damage in the same way that you might parallel your car perfectly downtown. But some idiot drunk driver might come by and sideswipe the car that you parked perfectly. They might sideswipe that car and do a lot of damage to you that you're not aware of and it's not even your fault. Some of you, this is what your families have done. Right now you need to get your phone out and just text them. Thanks a lot, dad. Thanks a lot, Joe. Like, because what's happened is their words have actually begun to shape and deform your identity. Some of you are like me and you've had experiences with people that were in positions of authority. So people that were supposed to invest in you. People that are supposed to mold your young mind and their reckless and idle words hurt you. Listen to me. In in fourth grade, 
I experienced the first time in my life, the first time in my life that a teacher cussed at me. I was in the fourth grade. I want you to notice what I said. It was the first time that it happened. It was not the last time. I kind of deserved some of those later on in life. Wasn't always a saint. But in fourth grade, can I just say this to you? You shouldn't cuss at fourth graders. At all. You shouldn't. Don't do that. If that's the way you're raising your kids, knock it off. And I'll never forget what was said. I'll never forget the posture in which she was standing as she said it. I'll never forget how, how I felt in that moment when she, when she called me what she called. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget how I felt. And here's this part of the story. It, it, impacted, it impacted how I, how I engaged education for the rest of that year. Can I, can I tell you that it also impacted the way in which I maneuvered through school for the subsequently following years? I'm 43 years old today. I've got a lot. Of, I got some letters behind my name. I've been in school and done the school thing for a long time. And that experience still to this day is with me. It's a scar. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Somebody said some things to you and it shaped and it formed. And the reality is just the better way of saying it is it deformed your identity. And you started feeling less than because somebody said something. And I just need to remind you today that the way God sees you isn't how someone has interpreted your behavior. Parents in the room, let me just give you a little bit of wisdom. Don't take snapshots of your kids' worst moments and post them for other people to see. Don't take the moment where little Johnny or little Susie is making a bad choice or a bad decision and don't prop that up to where that can become the way in which they are identified. Some of you know this. You'll walk into your family gatherings and they address you based on a behavior that was 10 years ago. And all of the progress you've been making, it feels like the moment you step in that environment, you're now walking on like a, a treadmill. You're not going anywhere. But there's a lot of energy being expelled. Some of your relationships with your family feels just like that. You are running on a treadmill and you're not going anywhere. Listen to what God says to Gideon. And can you hear the spirit of God saying that to you this morning? He says, oh, mighty man. A valor. A woman who is a warrior. Not the way in which we've been shaped or defined by other negative words, negative situations. Yeah, the Midianites might be all around. But Gideon, that's not what I see. I actually see in you is the deliverance for all of my people. Gideon couldn't see that because of the fear that was in front of him. So my question for you is what is it right now in your life that is keeping you from being able to hear and see and feel and know what God says about you? Because once we can identify it, we can start to turn that voice down. For a period of my life, over a decade, I got to work in higher education. And can I just tell you, it was a really, really cool moment to remember what it felt like for a teacher to use words to destroy me. And here's what I truly mean. I don't think that she actually had that intention. I think she was having a bad day. I think her, her mouth got away from her. And I've said to the Lord before, first off, I forgive her. But also I've said to God, and I've been very clear, Lord, when I get to heaven, you put that woman at the other end of the table. I ain't sitting with Miss Skaggs. 
That was her name, y'all, Miss Skaggs. You just knew she was evil, right? But I, I, not only do I have that story, but I got to step in for a period of time and for about a decade, and even still I get to do this now as a professor where I would, where now I can use my words to build and construct and, and I get a way to kind of undo some things because what she said about me then, it wasn't true then and it sure ain't true now. And I just want to encourage you because that's the way some of us walk into this room week in and week out and we're carrying the identifiers from everyone else and those voices get so loud, we don't get to see, hear the voice of the spirit. And so I just want to encourage you right now, rather than giving the microphone to the word that's been maligning you, why don't you give the microphone to the spirit of God that says to you in the face of all of the objection and oppression around you that you are a mighty man or a woman of valor. And the second, the second point that I want you to grab hold of that I think is, is important is simply this, that great potential is worthless without faith to match it. Great potential is worthless without faith to match it. That word potential is an interesting one because when you're 15 years old and someone says, oh man, you got great potential. That's a compliment, isn't it? Do you know what it isn't a compliment? When you're 35 and someone's like, man, they got potential. In other words, what it means when you're 35 is not the same as what it means in 15. At 15, it means like, oh, if you'll keep going, there, the sky is the limit. You're on your way. At 35, it means you have not lived up to what's in you, and we're just hoping we'll get to see it one day. Some of you in your life right now, if you're not careful, you're going to build relationships and families based on potential. And hear me on this. You do not start a home. You do not start a relationship with someone just because they have potential. That is a recipe for destruction. Do you know where potential lives in cool church? It lives in cool kids and it lives in cool youth. This is a room that should be championing that. We should be lifting our voice. We should be pointing out, man, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. We should be day in and day out reminding them of what God says about them, who God has called them to be. But listen to me, this room, you got a short period of time to live in potential because the expectation in the Bible is that you move on and mature past milk and you start sitting up at the table and eating grown folks food. The apostle Paul says it this way. He says to the church in Corinth, he says, listen, I wish that I could give you the meat of the word. He said, but I can't. He said, because there's a bunch of spiritual babies here. Now, remember. I love you. I love you. Do not keep coming to this house week in and week out behaving like spiritual babies where you are dependent upon someone else to provide the nourishment that your soul needs. I just want to say this to you. If this is the only place that you're coming to get a relevatory word from God, no wonder you're anemic. No wonder you're starving. This should be the place that's confirming. This should be the place that's stirring up. This should be the place that's helping prop you up in moments when you're weak. This is the place where the saints of God gather and we give worship to our God. And then we also get stirred up what? To go back out and minister the word. This is an equipping place. Not a nursery. 
And the only way that that happens is if we take personal responsibility. And we say, listen, I'm going to dive into the word. I'm going to be a person of prayer. I'm going to do the hard work because simply if I've got potential, but I'm not doing anything about it, if I don't have the faith to match it, it's worthless. So here's what that looks like and sounds like. Okay, yes, I'm discovering how God's wired me. Okay, I'm discovering the gifts. I'm discovering the calling. I'm maturing in the things of God. I don't simply want to mature in my mind. I also want to mature in my soul. So listen to me. Some of you in your life, you work so logically. When you step into these environments of faith, I'm not telling you that you have to check your logic at the door. I just want to remind you and be the person that champions this in you. Your logic is not the end all be all. Your mind is given unto the Lord. Yes, we worship God with our mind, our soul, our strength. My intellect is not the end of my faith, but it's actually the beginning of it. So here's what it sounds like in my own personal prayers of time. God, where I end is where you begin. So at the point that I am stretched, that's where you begin. So God, stretch me. Get me to that place quicker. I want to live my life not based on what I see, not based on what I can hear, but I want to live my life based on what God sees and what God is saying. Because if I don't have the faith to match the potential in me, the calling on us, then it's worthless. It's worthless. Next thing I want us to grab is this. No, we're not gonna, I got something else to say. We're not going to go there yet. Five times, if you're taking notes, write this down. Five times, the promise of God saving Israel through Gideon is seen throughout the narrative. Five times, God says to Gideon, you're the one. God says to Gideon, you're the God. Through you, you're going to save and you're going to rescue my people. But Gideon, over and over again, that's not enough. The word of the Lord isn't enough for Gideon. And I hope that you caught this, even in the narrative that we read. There were multiple times in the narrative that we read that God would say something to Gideon and he would go, okay, but can you do this? And I just want to caution you. Your desire for God to always give you a sign is not proof of your devotion or proof of your faith. It's actually proof of the lack thereof. If we constantly need God to give us a sign so that we'll believe his word, we actually don't believe his word. I'm all for signs, wonders, and miracles. But listen to what the Bible says. They should follow the believer. They shouldn't be the prerequisite to believe. If we're not careful, we chase miracles, we chase signs, and that gets us dependent on things other than the word of God. I want to live my life in such a way where I'm postured to the word of the Lord that when even God says the impossible thing or God says the thing that I'm actually not even aware of yet, but I know it's coming from God, then I can do whatever, whatever he's asking, whatever sacrifice is to be made, then I can do it. Why? Because the Lord has given us his word. Can I remind his church that the Lord need not do anything anything else for us? We talked about it already today. If God never did anything else for us in our life, he's done enough because he sent his son, Jesus, who gave his life so that you and I might be unified and brought into relationship with God once again. If he never does another thing, friends, 
He's done plenty. He's done enough. And so based on that work, whatever the Lord saith unto thee, do it. Do it with all your might. Do it with full devotion. Do it with your heart postured towards God, with a heart of worship, with a heart of obedience. Let's not get into this place like Gideon. No other judge in the book of Judges received more and saw more miracles done than Gideon. And no other judge had the lack of faith that Gideon had. Miracles did not equal faith. So some of you right now are struggling with your devotion to God. God has shown up in your life time and time again. Miracle on miracle on miracle on miracle. And the miracles didn't produce your devotion. They do demonstrate God's goodness. Do you understand that God is much, much kinder to us than we would be to each other? Some of us, we look at other people's lives and we, and we say things like this. Man, I can't believe God did that for them. I can't believe that in all the stuff that's going on in their life that God came through and bailed them out again. I know you don't say stuff like that, but maybe I do. And yet, the goodness of God is not what necessarily causes our devotion and our obedience to grow. Do you know what the Bible says? It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God is the posture of God's heart towards us. The goodness of God is where we see the kindness demonstrated through God's hand. Many of us, what I, what I pray for us is that we would fall back in love, maybe for the first time or once again, with the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not the, not the life that is looking for the goodness of God just to bail me out again. That would be hearts that would be bent towards repentance. Hearts that would be bent towards, God, I surrender and submit my life to you. The third thing I want you to grab hold of, this is the point I want to sit with for a moment. You can't build new altars to God without tearing down the old ones. You can't build new altars to God without tearing down the old ones. So let me ask you this question, friends. How many of us aren't building new places of worship to God in our lives or in our families because we don't want to tear down the other altars to the other gods in our lives? I had this picture during the first sermon as I was preaching, as, as we were kind of moving through this point, I had this picture I think some of us, what we do is we, we take the, the gods in our life, the small G's, the idols. And those idols can be a variety of things. And an idol is anything that garners your attention, love, affection, devotion, other than God. Many of us in this room, we are, we are too smart to worship a golden calf. We're too smart. We're too intellectual. We've heard too much. We've seen too much. But some of us in the room, there have been relationships that have been idols to us where they have meant more to us. They've taken our devotion. They've taken our allegiance, like all of those things. And so the picture that I had in my, our mind is that, that some of us are trying to worship on this side of our house in our life when the, when the idols and everything else are just over here in the corner. We've put them over here in the corner because if we can get them in the corner, they're not gonna bother anything. They're not gonna, they're not gonna disrupt anything. Kind of like what you and I do at the end of Christmas. Unless you're a crazy person, you don't get rid of all your Christmas decorations every year. Now, some of you in the room, you might love Christmas. There's a, there's a young lady on our staff. Her name's Jay. Jay's one of the best pastors I've ever met in my life. And Jay loves Christmas like, like Jesus loves Christmas. Like she is about Christmas. 
Jay will, will begin celebrating Christmas on, on November the 1st. She says, once we're done with the devil, Halloween, then we're getting to Christmas. If you look at Jay's calendar, what she will tell you is any month that, live, that ends in an er is Christmas. September, October, November, December, she carves out a couple of days for Thanksgiving, but she's like, the rest of that is the Christmas season. She loves Christmas. Most of us don't end Christmas and then burn all of our Christmas decorations. If you're like us, you put them in trash bags and you put them in your storage unit somewhere and you bring them back out. So you don't get rid of Christmas, you just put Christmas away. You track it with me. And the picture I got is that many of us, what we're trying to do is worship God. We're trying to grow in devotion. We're trying to grow in maturity. We're trying to grow in faith. We're trying to go through all of these things. And we're doing this here in our house and in our life. But we have not gotten rid of the idols and the God's small g that were interrupting and disrupting our lives previous to coming to God. There are some relationships. Listen to me. There are some relationships that you had in the past that can't go with you in the future. And here's the troublesome thing. Some of those relationships are your family. Gideon's story is a reminder that sometimes your parents do dumb stuff. Sometimes your parents live less than honorable ways. Sometimes your siblings, sometimes people in the house that you grew up in, they are not going to lead you in the ways of God. And you have to be aware of that. And you've got to serve and honor God more and greater then you serve and honor them. That's the hard word that we see here in Gideon. Because what does God say to Gideon? He says, hey, I want you to tear down. I want you to tear down the altars. Gideon's first response to that he knew he was meeting with the angel of the Lord was to do what? He worshiped. That's the right response. But Gideon then couldn't just worship. He had to go take care of some things. He had to deconstruct some stuff. And so the Bible tells him, go and tear down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. And if you looked at the text and if you caught it, whose were they? His dad's. So at best, Gideon was raised in proximity to pagan worship. More likely than not, it's not that Gideon just knew about pagan worship. Gideon was probably involved in it. As I said before, there's nowhere in the text that gives us any belief or any reason to know that Gideon had a relationship with God prior to God calling his name. There's the beautiful story for us. You may not have ever moved towards God. And in this moment, in this service today, God gets a hold of you and revolutionizes your life. Not because of what you've done, but because of the goodness of God. Because of the mercy of God, the kindness of God. But what God says to Gideon, he says, good. You recognize who I am, you're worshiping, it's great. But there's some things that have to get torn down. And I need you to go do it. And he says, then I want you to build a place of worship. Verse 26, I want you to build an altar to me. I want you to build a place of worship right on top of the stronghold. Some of you, you've been trying to live your life and building an altar of worship to God, but never actually destroying this and building the altar of worship right on top of it. Some of you need to hear me. The very thing that God brought you out of is going to be the very thing that God calls you back into to destroy. There will be some things in your family that God rescues you from, but then will send you right back into to deal with. And that's hard work. Let's just acknowledge that. That's an awkward conversation. 
When the family begins to go one way and you go, hey guys, I, I know we've, in the past, I, but we're not doing this anymore. And I, I know that y'all are not going to understand it. And I know this seems strange and I get it, but I'm, I'm going, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do this. And the deeper relationship, the closer proximity those relationships are to you, that those moments are, the more, the more intertwined your life was with the, the idols and the God's small g, the more difficult that work is, the more painful that work is, the more, the more heavy that work's going to feel. But, but here's the thing. Deconstruction without construction on the other side just leaves you in a waste of rubble. So some of you intellectually, you deconstruct things. And listen to me. The church should be a place where that is permitted. It should be a place that's safe for you to go, hey, I'm struggling in my faith. Hey, I don't really understand this. Hey, I'm not really sure what I believe. This is a place for you to say that. But at the same time, this is a place that's going to encourage you in worship of God. Because here's what I know. There's been moments where my mind couldn't figure things out. But if I turn my soul loose, my soul got some clarity on some things that my mind didn't understand. So deconstruction without also a desire to rebuild and renew is just demolition. And the things that we're to demolish in life isn't our faith, but it's idolatry. It's the stuff that was prohibiting us and keeping us from God. And so it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. God might break a yoke and a stronghold in a moment, but it may take a long time to clean up the mess. So some of you, listen, you're going to go to God and you're going to surrender everything. And in a moment, you're going to have freedom. In a moment, you're going to have salvation. But then the cleanup begins. Just because you've come to faith in Jesus doesn't mean that God waves a magic wand and the brokenness and the betrayal and all these other things disappear. No, no. Now you go back in, not alone, but with the spirit of God on the inside of you to rebuild and to repair. Another thing I love about the story of Gideon, and I hope this encourages you. Gideon doesn't go by himself to destroy the, the strongholds and destroy the altars. Because the Bible said he went with 10 people. I love that. I love that Gideon understood the power of community, even when tearing down and breaking strongholds. You know, the other thing I like about the story, and it gives me a chuckle, Gideon, Gideon went at night. Why did Gideon go at night? Because you can't see me if it's dark outside. Gideon knew what he was doing was the type of work and the type of thing that was going to cause other people to be very, very upset and very angry. So Gideon doesn't go alone. And the way my mind works, part of me is like, yeah, Gideon didn't go by himself because he didn't want people to be able to identify that it was just Gideon. It was 10 people. I don't know who it was. But Gideon also goes at night. Can I just encourage you, some of you here? You're struggling to make that move towards God and you're not sure if you can do it and being exposed. And I'm just saying sometimes when you don't have the courage to go during the day, God will still receive you at night. He'll still receive you at night. Last thing I want to leave you with is this. That knowing the stories isn't a replacement for intimacy. 
So here's what you see if you look deeper into the text. When Gideon is addressing God, when Gideon is interacting with God, he does not use in Hebrew the covenantal name for God. He uses a very generic name to, to approach God. He doesn't use the covenantal name that God gave to his people, that God gave to, uh, to Moses, but he just uses the term sort of like, like God. He doesn't refer to God through that covenantal identity that God had shown his people. Here's what that shows me. That Gideon, just like you and I can, we can talk about God, we can interact with God, but it doesn't mean that we actually know God. Some of you can quote scripture, but it doesn't mean that his scriptures are written on your heart. Some of you know what it is to come in here and you know how to move through the motions and you know how to kind of ride the emotional wave and you know how to respond in services and you know how to do all that, but you, but you don't really know God. There's not a depth of the intimacy. This is where that potential piece is huge. There are some of you in the room, you've been living on the spiritual potential that somebody prophesied and called out in your life when you were 15 years old. And I just believe that the Lord sent me here today just to say to some of you, hey, get on with it. Get on with it. This isn't about potential. This isn't about you just knowing. Some of you, the call of God on your life has been confirmed by so many people. And yet still you sit paralyzed with fear. Hear the word of the Lord, mighty warrior. Surely will I not give you the victory. This is what God says to Gideon. And this is what God says to us now. Because knowing about God and knowing God are two drastically different things. Our culture knows about God. The enemy himself knows about God. But he does not know God and the intimate way in which you and I are invited into. But the question for us is, are we going to stay in these old days? Or we, will we embrace the new ways and the new things that God is desiring to do in and through and among us? Cool church, would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me? Thank you so much for tuning in. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends and family to be a blessing to their lives as well. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.